Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You go on for longer and longer and longer and actually you're probably burning yourself out more and more and more. I would like to take a step back. I see there's a new chapter in my life. We started in London, filming cars, chasing after cars. At the time, I was 15, 16 years old. You kind of go to school and they're like, what did you do on the weekend? And I'm like, mm. I got to the point where I sat through a lecture and it was literally, they pressed play on a video. I walked out of the lecture because I wanted to go back and start planning. 50% of my life has been spent filming cars, uploading to YouTube. It's absolutely beyond anything that I ever imagined. The inside scoop is that YouTube is hard at the minute. With the help of uh, the adpocalypse, all of the brands kind of boycotted YouTube. And I think what's happened now, I don't actually desire to be on camera and I don't want to be the face of presenting all of the videos. I would like to take a step back. I see there's a new chapter in my life. Paul, my favourite podcasts are always the ones where I've actually known somebody for a while, been able to follow the journey. And with you, not only have I known you for a while, because the years seem to be going quicker, but I actually followed you way before that as well, probably from the age of 12 or 13, which have probably been around about when you started, and I think it's safe to say that your journey has had a massive uplift and it's probably had amazing times, challenging times, and she's taken you to all corners of the globe. But I'm imagining that everybody listens to this that is already going to know who you are. But for people that might not, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> okay. Uh, my name is Paul Wallace, uh, creator of Supercars of London. I was actually co-founder. So I did that with a friend of mine, Zach. Uh, We started in London, filming cars, chasing after cars. We were car spotters, essentially. At the time, I was 15, 16 years old. Fast forward now to 32 years old. So pretty much 50% of my life has been spent filming cars, driving cars, uploading to YouTube. 
Um, the best way that I can describe what I do day to day is I'm a content creator. So whether that be actually creating content or coming up with ideas to then go and create that content, or I've already created that content and then I'm editing it together. I'm a one man band and have been pretty much the entire time from, I would say 2013 is when I came out of university. Um, so right from those weird years where you really don't know who you are. You're trying to figure out what path you're going to take. You've got school teachers telling you one way or another, oh, you need to go and do this. You need to go and do that. Go to uni. Um, I went through um, secondary school, university, kind of hiding this car spotting, nerdy passion of mine, chasing after cars because it just was not the right. That's what I did for fishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is like kind of like you kind of go to school and they're like, what did you do on the weekend? And I'm like, mm. Um, and then obviously everything has evolved into, it's hard to describe it other than I document a segment or a percentage of my life filming in and around cars is pretty much what it is. And I'd say there's always onlookers in the majority of the following, they're not going to spend their entire time thinking about one particular person or a YouTuber Mm. or whatever. I think most onlookers would say, you know, Phil's, you know, he's had this incredible life, Paul has. He's had Lamborghinis, he's had all sorts, and it's provided him with all these opportunities to go to different corners of the globe. And definitely people will be looking in and going, you have made a success of what it you set out to do. And mm. it's really impressive. But I think they also think that that must be easy. And I know firsthand <laughs> from talking to yourself and knowing your journey and other people, that it's not easy. And especially in the last couple of years. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, everything you said there talking about the life that this has given me and the years that I've had, the experiences that I've been able to, um, or the adventures that I've been able to experience. Like, honestly, like looking back when I was a kid going one day, like I want to own a supercar or even like I want to drive a supercar to, to see the trajectory of social media. Cause obviously I was uploading to YouTube before Google bought YouTube. I was doing this before Instagram was a thing. Um, so that whole development of social media has enabled me to live out this like unbelievable chapter in my life where I feel incredibly grateful to have been able to, to do uh, the majority of what I've done. Um, but like with anything, like you, you think when you were growing up, you wanted to be a footballer or you wanted to be a Formula One driver or you wanted to be the presenter of uh, Top Gear, whatever like your dream job was, you never really think about what that journey looks like to get there, how much work it requires. And then even when you get there, how much work it requires to sustain a, a certain level of performance to actually kind of create a longevity out of it. Yeah. So to have started YouTube in 2006, Supercars of London. 2006 is way over 10 years now. Oh yeah. 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 So Supercars of London started in 2008. So 15 years ago. Wow. Um, The way that I then try and compare it to go, okay, like I've had a pretty decent run so far is look at like TV shows that have lasted the 15 years too, um, to see whether... Uh, Supercars of London chapter 2008, of course it's evolved. Um, And I wouldn't necessarily say in the way that I thought it would, or even the way that I wanted it to. So we can get into 
the reason why I love doing podcasts is because we can talk so candidly about it in a YouTube video. It's like, right, what's the best 10 minutes? How can I make it as entertaining, as engaging as possible? Keep the customer. Well, for 10 it, minutes, essentially, essentially, Mr. Beast came out and said, the only thing YouTube want you to do is for people to click on your video and watch the entire thing, which is way harder than him just saying that. Yeah. Obviously, he smashes it. Um, and the car space has changed so much, as, as has the social media space. So yeah. It's attention spans of people are at their lowest that they've ever been. Oh, yeah. And it, again, I think it's what you said, Mr. Beast, he's a brilliant person to like think about what's going on and look at what he's doing. But he said it's now the first 10 seconds of a video. You have to capture the person really? to stay for at least half of it. I have no idea. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like you've got to get that point across in the first 10 seconds. So it's, it's mad what, you, what goes into actually making these videos now. Because it wasn't like that at the start, was it? At the start, it was just point and shoot at Supercars. How long did it take you to put your face in front of the camera? Ooh, good question. I think, so two th- I reckon it was four and a half years. So for four and a half years, wow. so not until like 2012, then. 2012, um, it was summer and I was in Schmeezer Bath and we were driving around London and he goes, you should really put your face on camera. I think people would really enjoy seeing your perspective of what you do other than you point of view car spotting. And honestly, I was like, I couldn't think of anything worse. Like, I was the kid in the corner at school. Like I was it's super introverted. Still am. Like you'll see me in social situations. I'll be like trying to hide. And yeah, I've actually witnessed that before. Yeah. I, did, I did actually watch you just as a side story once. I took that in. I watched you at Wilton House once mm. and I could just tell you with your partner, there's quite a lot of people there that were coming up to you. And I was just like, I watched you go and hide in like a garden. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's not because you don't want to meet the people, is it? It's just because it just becomes just, yeah. Ah, I, I, I obviously like started by just car spotting. That was really my passion. And I think if the likes of Instagram didn't exist where you get to see everything on every street before you've even got to London, I'd still be doing it. That's why I love going down to Monaco because it's such a, a small place that you can walk the entire thing and you're not checking your phone on Instagram, looking at what the other car spotters have seen. So it is a bit of a, you don't know what's around the corner. So I love going to Monaco. It's one of the first things that I'll do when I get down there is car spot. And I'm 32. Like it's still a passion of mine, but the, the, the landscape has changed so much that there's not so much of an excitement anymore to, to see the cars. But then also because of the events that happen and a lot of supercar owners now are on Instagram, they're sharing their collection. You see them on Instagram, you see photos of these cars before you've seen them in the flesh. So you might see some crazy spec. Do do you think that, say, when you get put in front of a Ferrari compared to you being put in front of a Ferrari in 2008, something brand new just Mm. launched, obviously just because of doing it for so long, the excitement goes away. But do you think it is just because there's so much content out there that do you still, if a brand new Ferrari you haven't seen yet comes around the corner, is it, eh, here we go. Or is it? Ah, it's a two nine six. So I think, like, I think the the top tier of hypercar still pulls that element of excitement. So, cool story. Three or four weeks ago, me and Sam were at Le Mans, and we parked up. We were walking into the into the circuit, and uh, an F twelve TDF drives past. We're like, oh, that's cool. We've all seen one, so it wasn't like, oh my god, I need to run after it. A twelve competition only drives past. We're like, 
oh, maybe this is like a Ferrari club that have turned up and they're all in special stuff. Sam's like, freaking out. Sam point. at this point is freaking out. And then a, a piece that comes past, a 296 comes past and like an FF. And we're like, oh, okay. Like that was a pretty cool convoy, but there wasn't really like that, that buzz that I needed to go and capture the content. Then all of a sudden you hear this V12 and you're like, oh, something else is coming down. It was a Competizione Aperta. <laughs> then it was like a few more cars. And I started to get a little bit of, okay, like I'm going to film this. I'm going to capture this. And we got up the stairs and just as I was about to cross the bridge to get across, an SP3 Daytona comes around oh, the corner. Wow, yeah. And at that point, I ran back down the stairs. I was like, oh my God, I need to get this. Like, And that was like the 18-year-old car spottering me all of a sudden just completely so it flipping. It is definitely still there. I just need to keep making more mad machines. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like sort of Valkyrie. And- but you've got to think back in 2008, the production numbers were so much lower. The hypercars were uber rare because they were quite hard to drive and especially in central London. So it was a special thing to see a 2004, five, four GT or a Carrera GT. Whereas now you can daily a 918 and that came out in 2014, 2013. Um, so you're being exposed a lot more to the supercars and then also being they're more accessible to buy as well, aren't they? Yeah. In terms Finance. Of, well, and- maybe not at the minute with interest yeah. rates. Yeah. Like, I think every car is currently for sale and there ain't a lot being bought at the yeah. minute, weirdly. So um, it's it's such an interesting evolution because as I've got to drive some really special stuff, I obviously realise that it's special, but once you've you've driven it and you understand it as a product rather than just something super cool and unobtainable on the road, um, you then get a different perspective of it. And the more you do some, some weeks I'll do like five days in a row filming. And like the third day I'm driving a, I don't know, an F12. And then the next day I'm driving my golf GTI and going and testing it against a Peugeot 308 or whatever. And then you jump into something else and you can, you can get desensitized the more you move around in the cars and you then kind of, get to the end of the day and you're like, oh, should have taken that in a little bit more than I did. Because you're also worrying about, did I get the right angle? How was that video? Did the memory card crash? Yeah. I'm doing it now. I'm like, hang on, did I actually click the start of the podcast? Because <laughs> I haven't got anyone Do you want to check? <laughs> sure, I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep this bit in. Mm. Right. Yes, there is two levels moving that I'm happy. I've got no help today. <laughs> so we're just rolling a bit. And it's actually worth mentioning that... Um, what was brilliant about this, a little bit of spur of the moment, isn't it? I was actually coming back from another podcast. I just phoned Paul yesterday as he was leaving Silverstone. What's a race. I know. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, you, you agreed to come on. So thank you so much. But um, yeah, we've just must touch on it for our own sake. What a weekend. I know. It was just, it was so I always feel good. like. I don't even think anyone actually cared Verstappen won because it was so good between second and. For, for anyone behind Verstappen. And it feels like this entire season now is you look beyond Verstappen and there's some amazing races happening. Yeah. You have no idea which team's going to turn up We'd have up never with... bet that McLaren would have no, done this this year. No, no. To go from what? They were like P18, like messing around but below P15, not making Q1. To then all of a sudden, Austria, they look pretty good. Yeah. Like Lando was was on pace and, and was fast, again, behind Verstappen. Uh, but then to make that that jump again, like, and then almost like jump the pace of the Mercedes again, it, like we've talked about it quite a lot off camera. And I talk about it with Sam on the other F1 podcast, like what are Mercedes doing for them to get jumped with some upgrades by they've McLaren? Lost a lot of people, man. Yeah. But, I think internally they've lost a lot of people and it yeah. does, it does start to show like 
I think Adrian, it showed how in, how good Adrian Newey is at oh. Red Bull has shown. And yet they, they've lost key people within mm. Mercedes that maybe makes up a Newey. And yeah, I think it starts to show. But just like in F1, they're all making minor changes. It can be the smallest little change to the rear wing or the smallest change to a front wing end plate that gives the team two tenths. Yeah. So when you started and you went from, say, a few thousand subscribers to your first 100K, what was it that you found that made that happen? Good question. Um, I, it was, it was putting my face on camera was the biggest, was the biggest shift. Um, because I think for a long period of time, no one knew what supercars of London looked like. It was just pointed at supercars. Um, and when I, put my face on camera and, and started the journey of my first supercar. Cause that was the first series. My goal was I knew that the supercar spotting was seasonal. It was kind of May through the Arab to... invasion. Exactly, I remember the videos yeah. in capitals. Kaboom. It was uh, unbelievable. <laughs> Number like, plates so, can't read. Yeah, some of the best years of my life were spent in every single Gold day. Gold 458s and yeah, red yeah, interiors. Velvet 599. Yeah, like God. honestly, it's just some men oh, mental stuff. Mad. Do you know what's so mad is those, those are the videos I remember. Yeah, I know yeah, exactly yeah, what cars yeah, you're yeah. on about because I was just obsessed with watching them. When I even when I was fishing, I'd have oh, this is the Arab <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like but what like, is it with blokes and men that we're we're happy to put on an iPad and watch ten minutes worth of supercars driving? Just making noise. I wonder just what people noise. are just looking at. They're just yeah. It's 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 crazy, but I think when I started to realise I was onto something was. I just read about the 599, the Mansory 599 Stallone. And I just read it in like Top Gear magazine. And they just announced it. And then two months later, I saw it in real life. And I was like, I'm bringing, like, we only had access to either Top Gear on a Sunday night or, or magazines. All of a sudden, I was able to like film them, post them on YouTube and people saw that they were being driven and like owned and bought. And all of a sudden there was this, this sort of shift of reading about what a car is like to drive in a magazine or listening to Jeremy Clarkson or whatever, talk about it, never really having access to any more content. And I honestly, every single day without fail on YouTube, I would type in Lamborghini Gallardo, Lamborghini Murcielago, Koenigsegg, whatever. And I'd go day added on, on the search. And I'll just see what the latest videos uploaded of the Lamborghini, just to see what videos had been ma made around the world of, of particular cars to see if anything had made it over to London. Like it was a people, mad obsession. People do the same things in fishing with cat yeah. <laughs> They actually do this. There's, there's things here that are quite similar. They look up, they're like, oh, the big ones come out. Like, oh, full moon tonight, we're out. Um, yeah, that's mad, isn't it? Back, back in there. So the, it's obviously starting, a lot of people will know that part of your journey. It started in London, car spotting. Yeah. Camera turned around, your face was on camera. But what is very different about you to my previous guest, and my previous guest, um, Jordan uh, from Slam UK, runs the Gravity Show, yeah, yeah. the big events. What was really interesting about him is that he had no business plan, he had no business acumen. It just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. And he, he had to learn how to do it along the way because a business was forming. Yeah. Where you, you actually mentioned you went to university. Yeah. And I've heard you speak about the four that you actually did set this up as a business with a business plan. Yeah. So what did that look like and what stage of the progress was that? Um, we had to submit a business plan to Google to get AdSense. 
So oh, wow. we had a form to fill in, myself and Zach, um, going back, would have been 2007, 2008. And it was just like an online form. It was like, how much time are you going to invest? How much money are you going to invest? What are your goals? So it was a very um, juvenile business plan. Yeah, yeah. There was no real, well, if we do this, this happens. And with that, we'll go and do this. So it was all trial and error. And I would say even now it's trial and error. Um, so you've definitely talked up a bigger game than <laughs> I would say. I've very much gone with the flow. I did go to business. I studied business management um, with ent enterprise and innovation was the sort of side segment, which was interesting. But I got to the point, I think it was second year. There was one point in particular where I sat through uh, a lecture and it was literally, they press play on a video. And I was listening to, I think it was James Dyson. Or, or or an incredible entrepreneur. It might have been Rich, Richard Branson. Maybe they were both featured in it and they both said something similar. I got out of the, I walked out, out of the lecture because I wanted to go back and start planning what I was going to do with my YouTube channel. The bang. That's, and, that was the moment. Yeah. And I was, and I just knew that if I sat there continuing to listen and watch where this video had gone, I might have lost that trail of thought. So I went, I went back and I literally started to plot. And this was when I realized I needed to create a sustainable video stream to create a stable revenue stream. Because before- Consistency. Exactly. It was upload all through the summer and then milk the AdSense as it went into December because everyone was pumping into ad spend because they wanted to market during November and December. So I saw that huge- Does that change huge now? Right. Uh, no, it's exactly the oh, same. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this, the, the sort of the payment from December- to January Christmas is, bonus. Is, is exactly, <laughs> literally exactly that. You get a Christmas bonus is, is on your depressing. YouTube videos. And you see a lot of the YouTubers out there that they do like what they called Vlogmas back in the day. Like obviously YouTubers have evolved, but I put a Christmas tree on the roof a, of my RA. A lot, a lot of people <laughs> would literally go, I'm going to daily, I'm going to daily vlog every day in December. Ah, uh, Okay. And it was because the ad revenue was insane. So they could just times their views by six. And, then, and it was all about the Avon revenue back then, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was really how everything would you say started. That between back in the day to now on YouTube is the biggest change. Would you say that a lot of revenue doesn't come from AdSense? Uh, yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that. I think across the board, um, with the help of, uh, the adpocalypse, uh, COVID, uh, I think the way that ad spend has changed in general. I remember it happened, I think it was in the States, essentially, um, some pretty bad videos got uploaded to YouTube and then Sainsbury's ad ads appeared on these videos. And all of a sudden, all of the brands kind of boycotted the YouTube AdSense program. Similar thing happened with obviously Twitter in the last year, in a way. In a way, yeah. Where everyone was pulling their money away from YouTube because it was just bad press to be seen to be advertising and putting money into YouTube. And I remember because the American guys, started to talk about their AdSense dropping by 60 to 70%. And I was looking at mine thinking, ah, mine's all right. Maybe I've got away with it. Like maybe my, maybe like my little niche is fine. And then the next month it hit. Three and I was going like, oh my God. Much. Yeah. Yeah. And it literally, yeah, it just dropped, that. fell off a cliff. Um, and obviously it's recovered. Um, but I would say probably since 27, 2018, 2018, 2019, a lot has changed. I'd say the last four or five years, a lot has changed. Most changing on YouTube. YouTube is in the last four or five years. 
Um, I think that could be also down to ad spend, as you said, though, the way people spend money on ads. Yeah. Because there's so many different types of businesses and so many different businesses choose to do things. And to be fair, even if you look at my digital agency, I decided that I would be doing absolutely no ad spend whatsoever yeah. in a traditional sense. Mm. No little graphic designed ads saying yeah, yeah, come yeah. to our agency yeah. with some Shutterstock woman on it. I, I decided not to do that and I thought I'm going to do the podcast instead because yeah. then you might actually get a loyal viewer that actually likes you, that already knows you, that wants to invest in your company because they trust it. It's a more it's a more valuable... And if more people start to do stuff that's slightly outside the box that drops, then there's so many more businesses. Uh, yeah, there, the there is. There is. And I think um, the most interesting documentary that I've watched in a long time is that Social Dilemma documentary where you saw... The, the beasts that run YouTube, the algorithms that run all of these social, and fundamentally, they're just trying to farm everyone's attention. They want you to stay on the platform. It's why TikTok's so addictive. You can't get off it. Um, and I watched that and kind of got freaked out a little bit to be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm helping them in a way by just posting YouTube videos. I'm populating their website. And then their algorithm is, is, is keeping people on there and stopping them from doing potentially productive stuff. And I kind of freaked out at that. And that was, I watched that in COVID 2020, I think it was. And that's when I really calmed down a lot of like my activity to try and look at other avenues and ways that I could potentially flip what I do or what I have been doing and create more, I don't know, like the word is like more of an experience for people, um, which is what I'm working on and kind of have a bit of a future plan for. So I'm excited by it, um, but it's definitely opened my eyes up to the way that these massive corporations work where fundamentally the more time you spend on their websites, apps, watching videos and stuff, the more money they earn. So, and it is shooting up the time people spend on yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely massively shooting up. Oh, we just had to have a little break because it was a little bit hot in here. So sorry <laughs> if we've lost our um, train of thought, but where I want, want to uh, go to is we spoke about the fact that people's phones are grabbing their attention. There is so much content on those phones that it must just make being essentially a YouTuber and a content creator, creator even harder because mm. you're trying to push your bit of content in front of everybody else and make your content the bit someone actually watches or sees. So that kind of ties me into your friends with a lot of the other guys on YouTube and then acquaintances, I'd probably say, with another ring. Yeah. How much do you see those guys as your competitors? None. Not at all. Not fighting for people's time. I'm the worst. I would say I'm, I'm probably the nice, well, one of the more nicer people in the space from a, from a business perspective. Um, and I've had conversations with um, Tim, James, um, Sam, Archie, Tom, Seb, all of those guys, I'll have conversations with them about like, oh, what do you got going on? Like whether you've got brand work or are you going to be at this event? Oh, who are you going with? Like, that's cool. Um, but I'm never trying to, to, to take the business from them and I'm never trying to compete with them from a, from a business perspective um, because I was lucky enough to fall into this world. I haven't started this as a, as a, right, I'm going to make this into my career. Um, and I'd never really growing up thought that YouTube would be my career or at least have a, a career this long in YouTube. Whereas Tim is, is very vocal and open. And I'm sure he won't mind me saying like, he sees us all as competitors. 
He's like, I just need to make sure that my videos are all better than yours so that I get the most views, so that I get the most money, so that I can be the best and be at the top. And I remember him saying that to me and I was like, yeah, fair enough. Like, that's cool. But are you really going to create friendships out of this? Are you really going to help other people in terms of a collaboration? Because he will only do a collaboration if he can see the benefit to him. And I'm like, well, no, it's more fun to make videos with other people. Why would you want to just make videos by yourself? Just be tr- like, and surely my audience may fall over to yours and yours vice versa. Yeah. Like we've, we've done collaborations in the past and, and Tim has been a real good guide in helping me firstly put my face on camera. Yeah, um, bath. He's, uh, he's helped me, um, in terms of guiding me with different video ideas, like all sorts of really cool stuff. And I remember meeting Sam for the first time when he had set scene through glass up. I was like, this guy knows what he's doing. Like he at the time had a job in PR and I was like, I really like his content. And then I met him and I was like, this guy's a legend. Like I want to do cool stuff with him. I want to go on road trips with him. I want to do more filming with him because at the time it, Lonely was, world. It, it really was. And even now to an extent it is. So there was a period of time, which I call like the golden years where- Is that when he had his red F type Bernie chance it would, yeah, had that hurricane? Exactly. So no, I would have had the Gallardo. Gallardo okay, yeah, and the then, Bal- yeah. Is it the Balboni white one? Uh, Bicolori. Bicolori. Yeah, the, the worst special edition Gallardo ever. <laughs> Wait, did it have a V10? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did it tick the Lambo box? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't And was it your golden years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, like we all realised that we could- have the best time by going on road trips. Obviously, it cost us a fair bit of money and we put loads of miles on the car, which depreciated our assets that were making us money. So the business model wasn't quite figured out. <laughs> we didn't think about that. We were just having a hilarious time. Hey, there's this lad down in Monaco. We could stay at his house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So we had the best time. That's your Dan area moment. Though. Yeah, exactly. Like a driveway full of supercars, a green pool out the back that hadn't been filtered in four years. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we all just. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Enjoy collaborating. We all enjoy spending time together. And that was where I would say... It was at its peak. It was at its peak from an enjoyment perspective. There wasn't any competition. It wasn't like we were editing our videos, trying to upload it first or trying to get a we jump on someone else. Yeah, yeah. We were all like, look, let's just all upload at 5 p.m. and let's just have some fun. We did the supercar spotters versus supercars. And we came up with all of these different challenges and cool video ideas that no one had really ever seen before. So I think having so much fun on camera with 
ideas that we had come up with ourselves down in Monaco, driving our supercars. Like we were living our best life and we were having the most fun doing it. And then I think as the audiences grew, as our views kind of went like this, as social media went like this, all of a sudden you've got these brands starting to sniff around and be like, hey, like we'll pay you a thousand pounds if you put us in your video. We'll pay you 1500 pounds. And then you started to see the money hungry guys go, right, yeah, I'm going to do that and not tell anyone. And then I need to get my video out an hour before them so that I can get the jump on them. And there's a lot of that that has been going on in the last sort of like three years, five years or so, where you've got some characters that kind of like try and wiggle their way into a brand or, and that's where I felt like the most uncomfortable because like, I'm just like this guy who wants to make fun content and actually would love to do everything with everyone else. I think it'd be the most boring thing in the entire world if you had that, a, a YouTube channel. Do you know what's crazy? Because out of, out of a lot of them as well, Paul, I looked at your numbers before you come in here. You're nearly approaching a million subscribers on YouTube. It's 900 and... I actually don't know. Yeah, 927. I knew I knew I hit like, I think I was on like 890. Yeah, no, it's over 900 when I looked. That's sick. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did this in a rush before we got <laughs> it. No. It might be. like this, so. Do you want to have a look? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I don't go on my YouTube I'm channel. I'm sure it is. <laughs> 350,000 um, followers on your own Instagram. Yeah. And again, 900 plus thousand on things. Yeah. That's a hell of a brand. Like, that is one of the juggernaut in terms of follower base. Yeah. And contact base. Yeah. That's hell of a brand. There's yeah. like, it's like absolutely beyond anything that I ever imagined. Like I remember having 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. I remember the interface, like the the way that YouTube looked back when I had 20,000, when I had 50,000. I do remember when I went from, so I hit, I remember hitting hundred K and I was like, this is unreal. Like I think it took me about five. Yeah. Yeah. Still got it. Still got it. Um, and then everything just went mental. And I went from a hundred thousand to 200,000, about two, two and a half months. So I've got hundred thousand in in such a uh, hundred thousand extra subscribers in such a short short space of time, and it it did it kind of it, it accelerated so fast that all I wanted to do was like I just wanted to feed this beast that was the more videos I put out, the more views, the more subscribers, the sort of bigger everything gets, and I kind of didn't look past that, um, and always felt like. I had this end goal. I had this end goal. Like I wanted to own this Mercia Largo. Like if I can get to that point where I am able to buy my dream car, like that's the story I want to tell. That's your road to success. Exactly. So I remember when I bought my Gallardo and I, and I wanted to have a Lamborghini by 25 and I had already told all of my friends when I was 16, 17 years old, I was like, I'm going to have a Lamborghini before I'm 25. And they're like, yeah, right. Like you'd have just come out of university. Like, how's that possible? And I had no idea how I was going to do it and managed to, to do it. And I remember picking it up, drove straight to Burger King, celebrated, drove home, parked it on the drive. And I was like, now what? Like I've done the Lamborghini before 25. I was like, okay, now, now what do I do? Like, how do I then elevate to the next level? And how do I get to the next goal? Which, okay, I've got the Gallardo, but it's actually an incredible thing to have, but I was looking at the Mercia Largo still on auto trader to be like, that's where I need to be. And it wasn't really the, the sort of finance that I was 
scared by it. it was actually like the running costs of the Mersey Largo that I just didn't want to touch. I was finding that with cars. <laughs> yeah, you've a, got the classic Porsche. I've had a bad week. <laughs> <laughs> like a bad week. Yeah. So like I wanted to be, I wanted to be sensible. I wanted to take as many calculated risks as I could. Every time I bought and sold a car, it was a risk. Um, but the way that I kind of saw it was if I was running a clothing company, all I was doing was reinvesting into a better t-shirt printing machine that was going to make more t-shirts and make more money. So it was just in the shape of a Lamborghini, which was my absolute dream because I loved supercars. I dreamt of owning a supercar. And all of a sudden, like I've created this, this business model that allows me to almost be paid to drive these cars. And that was like the most nuts thing. And you just touched on that. If you owned a clothing company, but you mm. did. I did own a clothing company. You did own a clothing yeah. company. In fact, when I said to my mates in the chat, I was like, oh, you never guess what? I've just pulled off. Um, Paul Wallace is coming. I'll just give him a ring and bang, here, here we are. Yeah. Because they were like, oh, I remember buying one of his hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> I've still got it. Yeah, like, I've still got them. I loved it. So explain. I had a clothing company. I launched it and I didn't want it to look like the generic YouTube merch. And I'd seen a lot of non-car people launch merch with like their channel name plasters across the front. I was like, is that something you'd actually wear out? Like, is it, is it cool enough to have a supercars of London t-shirt that's got a Ferrari or a Lamborghini? I was like, I would rather have some like real clean designs that we picked out together. I had a company, a fulfillment um, drop ship business yep. in Essex who printed and created everything. Um, and we set it up. And had a lot of fun, I'd say, for the first two years where we ran all the way up to Black Friday. I did that um, uh, competition where I could then pick random orders. I'd just scroll through like this with my eyes closed, go like that, boom, Derby. Okay, I'm going there, blah, 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 Manchester. And I would get the orders sent from Essex to me. I'd put them in the Gallardo and then I drove up and then I took competition winners out in the Lamborghini. And you must have been also thinking, cool, this is another bit of the business that's taking yeah. off here. Yeah, this yeah. could be. It was, it was really successful. Um, but the one thing that um, the company, because the guy that ran the dropshipping company was similar age to me and he was kind of finding his feet, working out how he was going to create this into a business and a moneymaker for him that we had no idea about the percentage of people that want uh, refunds that want to change sizes. We had Catches no, everybody, no customer service. Like it was literally me, him in the, in the warehouse doing everything, printing all of the t-shirts, hand printing them. And we were realizing that as it grew, and as we came up with more designs, that more this people problem was getting bigger. Yeah, this more people bought them. Therefore, like there was a Returns, bigger, bigger, right. a bigger problem at the other end. And I ended up spending like countless hours through the night emailing everyone that was sending into. Like, really interestingly, just to touch mm. upon there as well, were you that registered? Yeah, because I, I, what I've noticed is obviously everybody would have seen, especially if you've got a vague interest in business dropship and entrepreneurship. Mm. I think it's criminal at the minute, the amount of people that are trying to sell people dropshipping courses on how to change their life. Absolutely criminal. I've not so seen For anything. 300 quid, I, I will create you a dropshipping store and look, I've got these five supercars because I sell a thousand tea cans. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. It's just absolute shit. Yeah. It's, There's a lot of scams out it's there. It's complete shit. And- what a lot of people like the get Forex caught stuff. out for. Yeah, people get caught out because they're not VAT registered. And you go on to like a dropshipping supplier for clothing and it's like, right, cost price is a tenner. 
and it says it gives you uh, an RRP estimation. So you can put it up if you want. Say fifteen quid, and they think, "Oh, cool! Look at that! Good Look margin. at that margin! Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to make five quid. Yeah, no, you're not, because none of them. That's the cost prices. And I was just going through this with a mate recently that's launched a store, and he'd never done it before. So granted, he didn't see it. And I said, "No, mate, what you've got to do is you've got to add twenty percent to your cost price. And then because you're not VAT registered yet, that's your RRP, and you're not charging off. That's your your margin's actually this. Yeah, and this is your cost." And he's like. It doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah. <laughs> I need to, and I'm like, well, no, you've just got to try and make the brand good enough to get the gross margin yes. and add to that yeah. RRP. Yeah. So, yeah, but what if I need to discount stuff? So I was like, you really need yeah. a big gross margin. <laughs> I think it catches so many people up. But yeah. You were that registered. It was a big, bigger it, business. Yeah, it was doing it, some it, money. But it wasn't, it wasn't what, what caught us out because we then came up with the plan that what we would do is essentially we'd come up with a particular clothing line and launch it in the summer run it up till um, Black Friday, Christmas, um, and hope that through um, me wearing it on camera and coming up with various competitions and coming up with cool designs, the one thing that I was, and even now, the reason why I haven't done another clothing brand, I'm working on it, is um, every time I get sent samples, then I don't like them. So I'm like the, the most, I don't know what the right word is, I'm, meticulous. I'm, uh, yeah, meticulous about the fit um, to the point where I probably should just get my own fit made and have custom tees and hoodies done for me because everything I try on, I'm like, no, I don't like it. But you can see, and I think the reason behind that from what you said is the fact that you actually care. You yeah, can see yeah. that you actually care. The, the, There's, you're not one of the churners. The buzz and- that I got from uh, my clothing is when people had it turn up and I got, Oh my god, the hoodies are so soft. And if it's crap, your returns rate is going to be yeah, good, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. People have only got a fine amount of a disposable income to spend at the end of each. Exactly, period. it's got to be good. Exactly, and the fact that I still have hoodies and like your friends still have hoodies. Yeah, no, they remember them. It, it was a cool. It, it, it looked like what become the redefined logos and all the rest of it with the yeah, screen yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It? Like we we had a we had a lot of fun coming up with the designs. It was a really nice. I, I learned a lot from the sort of SOL clothing stuff. And actually, what really sort of put the final nail in the coffin was. Um, I think it was, it was Brexit. It was Brexit because an entire shipping container of um, all of these cool new colours that we had had, it just got stuck at um, the border right. in like um, in Holland. And you couldn't get your orders to people. Yeah. And that was it. I was like, chain. we have to pull this now because we cannot take more orders and then have people waiting around because we don't know when we're going to get it. And it's hard when it is just you, isn't it? Yeah. Apologies to everybody. <laughs> do, you wanna, do you want any of that, mate? Woo. Because- it is absolutely sweltering in here. And we've, it's a hot I, day outside. I've been trying to do this, <laughs> that this van gets parked in like the shade or I do these in the evening, in the morning, in the minute. So I skimped out and didn't get aircon put in it. So we are currently sat in what feels like India. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> fine by me. But we're going to keep, keep smashing oh, mate, yeah, yeah, Let's keep rolling minutes. until I pass out. <laughs> but just, I suppose the next bit that I want to get into, you've done all those bits and we'll get on to where you're going towards the end. But, it seems to me, I've spoke to a few people, I'm lucky enough, I, I spent some time at the Formula One with Archie this weekend, and the inside scoop is that YouTube is hard at the minute. Oh, yeah. It's as hard it's, as it's ever been. It's, it's, and it will increasingly get more difficult. So have you ever nearly quit? Ooh, that's a good question. Have I, uh, I've thought about making videos that will be like, a bit clickbaity to be like saying goodbye, 
because I've not wanted to quit, but oh my God, if I wanted to have a break, that is the, that's the big difference. I've never wanted to throw the towel in, but I have needed a break. I've, I've sort of broken down at the end of Goodwood Festival of Speed in multiple consecutive years, just being completely burnt out and never really felt like I could get away with having a break. Do you feel like an internal pressure every day? You don't put a video out that you could oh, yeah. be losing out. Yeah. Because, and it's not necessarily losing out um, on, on views or, or like that, that instant recognition of, oh, okay, I'll put the video out and people are watching it. It's, it's what happens to the algorithm, which is now controlled fundamentally all by AI. So there's no human element or compassion element to what if you need a break? What if you are burnt out? What well, if it's you- supposed to be sentient now. Yeah. I mean, it's not because you literally- <laughs> it's got no heart for sure. No, for sure. Because it, like, if you, if you did want to try and have a break or you wanted to just go on holiday for a week, which in, in normal jobs is absolutely fine. And like in my brother's line of work, he's allowed to have a sabbatical and go away for two months and, and go and kind of reset and come back fresh and feel like you're ready to perform again. Um, I'm terrified of of what happens if you do take a break and you kind of sit back for a month and just try and have a reset and you come back to YouTube, what happens? And because I've never done that other than COVID, which I kind of pulled back a lot of the activity, um, the fear gets even worse because you go on for longer and longer and longer. And actually you're probably burning yourself out more and more and more. But that fear of you're going for longer. Therefore, if you end up having that break, what does that do? And when you come back, is the algorithm going to favor you or is it going to completely throw you off and it's going to take six months to build back back that momentum? How much does it affect you when you put a hundred percent into a video and you thought it was going to be the one and the algorithm doesn't pick it up and it gets 10k plus? You end up from my perspective, so I don't get I don't I don't get bogged down in the performance of it. So which is why I don't know how many subscribers I've got because consistency. I only put videos out once I've edited them. I'm happy with, and I've thrown away a lot of videos that I edit, and I'm like, there's no way I can put this out. Like I don't like this video, and I wouldn't watch it to the end. If I get to the end of the edit and watch it back, looking for the mistakes and go, yeah, that was cool. I'll put it on YouTube. Just do a Supercars of London. I think this is shit channel. <laughs> and you never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely the fly. B channel. You'll be like, hang on a second. This has got yeah. a million views. Because <laughs> it's absolute <laughs> garbage. The thing, I think the, the, the sort of the middle ground that I'm in now, and I don't mind saying this is the, the window of when everything was new and exciting and I was jumping into cars and, and loving life. We were going on road trips, what I call the golden, the golden years. Um, I absolutely loved because I was able to document such a large percentage of my life um, and, and pack everything together into a 15 minute video. And it was just like wild. Like, and you go back and watch it the day later and the night later. Yeah, and exactly. So cool. and, it, and it was so cool. And I think what's happened now, firstly, I've got older. So I've actually wanted to... I would say recoil to an extent. I don't actually desire to be on camera and I don't want to be the face of presenting all of the videos. Um, I would like to take a step back. I see there's a new chapter in my life. I got married last year. Like, like I've got a niece and a nephew, like, and I want to spend more time with my family. So not only is it the next stage in your personal life, you're going to take the business to the next stage in a, yeah. in a different direction. Yeah. And um, wow. so, yeah, like, 
the the sort of I feel like when I sold my Mercilago, which I think was 2021, and I'd like massively ticked off that dream car. Like I was, I was like so happy with that. And whilst there was never a moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to quit, there was right. Okay, what's what's the next? What's my next chapter going to look like? Um, and I don't think if you don't ask yourself that, you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah, because I I set myself. I I didn't really want to be making YouTube videos past 35. And I'm 32 now, so I'm working on it. <laughs> well, we'll wait to see what's to come. I'll let that to your audience. But you think that it's going to actually include a brand and clothing and something a bit more tactile as well again? Yeah, I, I have a lot of interests outside cars that I'm slowly, incrementally introducing. Because I think where I've posted so much about cars... Um, it's hard for me to, to talk about other elements of, yeah, of my personality. Would you have ever had the opportunity to do something like an F2 freestylers type of video? Something completely I should have done it. But something you'd have found interesting, but you just didn't do it because you knew it wouldn't make the algorithm happy. And we've got about five more minutes in this way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but have, have you not done it because you're like, I just can't put that in front of that audience? Uh, now, yeah, for sure. So, um, I would say... When I was when I was fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, um, freestyle football was like one of my things, yep. and it was before car spotting, and the opportunity to talk about football excites me a lot more than the opportunity of talking about cars does. Because I've been filming. Oh, it's weird though. If you did the football thing for five years, do you reckon it's actually going? Uh, Potentially. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just because yeah. you do it. I, it's the same with the fishing lads that I spoke to earlier. Yeah. The ones that do it as a job hater. Yeah. It's uh, when they when they go back to doing a normal job and then just going at the weekend, they love it. See, I actually had a conversation with someone who's a, a wildlife photographer and it's one of the things that I like is one of my quirky little niches. I love wildlife. I love photography. So I don't think anyone would have known that. Merging the two together. I'm talking about it a little bit more. I went on safari recently. Um, and had a lot of, t- a lot of fun doing that. And I think it's still, it's still technically creating and, and capturing content, but in a different way. And I think where I've just bombarded myself with cars, I've been filming cars for 17 years. Like, I think there's a point, point. where I don't want to do that anymore. I wouldn't necessarily say I- I'm getting close to it. I'm getting close to it, but do I want to quit and never film cars again? Probably no. not. When I try and it's just like, it's a, it's a, it's a break. And, and if I can, if I can still bring my audience on that journey in, in some capacity, and that's kind of like clothing is one thing. Like I really like the idea of designing clothes and kind of going down that route, but there's other uh, sort of experience things that I'm working on and ways in which, um, stuff that I've been lucky enough to experience and trips that I've been doing. If there's a way in which I can allow other people to do that and bring those, those experiences to other people. Um, once the conversations slowly start forming, then like I'll jump back on here and we'll, we'll talk about it because it's amazing. Some wicked stuff. So I'm going to do something slightly different at the end of this podcast that I've not done before because we are sweating out now. Um, and I'm going to promise that I'll fit aircon in here for the next guest <laughs> and thing and not cheap. I am wearing trousers in this t-shirt. Oh man, it's not, ridiculous. Um, some quick fire questions. I've never done this before. Go on. If you could film a video, one person that you haven't over the last period of time, who would it have been? 
um, Tavares. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So I've I've met him uh, and we've done some cool stuff at Goodwood Festival Speed, but that's just been going around. But I am like avidly following his P1 rebuild. And it, have you seen his carbon fiber? Oh, mate. <laughs> like he does things so cool. And I just can't wait to see that finish. I did a US road success. I've got to go there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if you had to set up a new channel and not have the car one anymore, and you had a choice between football and F1, what would you do? Um, F1. Still. I'm so jealous that F1 podcast. I'd sit there and talk your ass off every day. Um, <laughs> You finished with the Merch Largo. Yeah. What is the next Dream Supercar? Don't have one. Really? That This is, I mean, I think I've talked about it. I've definitely talked about it to people off camera as well, but that car emotionally was, was, was the pinnacle. So it, unless I buy another LP640, um, I'm not really interested in spending more money to a, try and achieve that level of emotion that the Merch Largo gave, because I won't get it. I don't think if I bought an Aventador, I would be as attached or as excited about driving as I was with the Mercia Largo. So in a way, ticking that box, of course, huge life achievement. Also in a way, don't really feel like there's anything automotive to achieve in, in that level. Like it doesn't excite me thinking about, I need to go and buy an SF90. I love the car, don't want to own one. Same with like anything even more expensive, like a McLaren Senna or a 918, like those cars to me, like a really the mercy. I'd only probably, I'd probably go back to an LP 640 if I wanted to have uh, a dream supercar again. And last <laughs> question in three years time. Yep. Who do you 35. think the biggest car YouTuber will be in the UK? I can't see it going any other way to Matt Armstrong. Like he's absolutely killing it. 100% and the way that he shoots and, and his, his little, his little niche that he is, it's, it's unbelievable. And also like amazing to follow. And he's nailed how you can follow. If you want to just follow Porsche content, he's got it. If you want Lambo content, he's got it. You don't need to watch every video to follow one particular build. The one thing that I think he needs to do is like, I think he needs like a shop. And it would be so cool for people to actually want to go and buy a Cat S car and, yeah. have, it, and have it rebuilt yeah. by him or his team. And he's got all of the content because people are bringing him cars. No doubt In all fairness, that's Matt, that, Matt has agreed to come on. Um, I've never met him. I've never met him. I really to know. So cool. Matt actually followed me before Matt even started doing his car, I believe. Oh, sick. And I met him down at my friend Ricky at RE Performance in yeah, Sweden. Yeah, yeah. He's doing really well with his own yes, channel. Yeah, yeah, This week's episode that's just gone out. I met him several times down there and he's absolutely sound. He's agreed to come on, um, but actually nailing down a date like it is with all of you is impossible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's that's for loads of reasons. Obviously, see what he's doing. But yeah, no, it is it is exciting watching new people suddenly burst into the space. It shows yeah, yeah. possible, doesn't it? Oh yeah, like we're we're all the we're all the old timers now. Like I've got no problem with admitting that we had we had a really nice sweet spot, we had a good run, and had a really good run. And and that just means it's time for the next thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I like I like still kind of fiddling around with like coming up with different ideas. I'm always a creative person. But sometimes I like putting creative ideas into a lot of other YouTube videos on other people's channels that come from like conversation that we'll have. So, yeah. Paul Wallace, thank you so much, mate. 
and I look forward to seeing what the next five years has in store for you. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you very much. I need a, I need a, <laughs> we need a shower. Yeah. <laughs>